All right. I, Kathy makes everybody nervous. Oh. Okay. I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna. To. I don't know. If, wow. Some days. I don't know if I'm going to sit down or stand up, but I'll start this way, and then we'll see where God leads. Okay, so as we work our way through the attributes of God, and we continue, we, last time I kind of skipped ahead to deal with a question uh, about evil, and, uh, and then we got pretty deep into it, and I didn't get to finish the thought. So this time I just want to back up, and uh, we're going to begin in the attributes of God discussing uh, God's wisdom and light. It's on page 42 of your notes. So if you want to go there, for those of you who may wonder, if you look through my footnotes, you will discover primarily my sources are two guys, Norm Geisler and Wayne Grudem. Uh, the reason I do that, and one of the things I would challenge everybody to do, is not to align a bunch of people who think just like you do to to establish your point of view. So I got two guys on opposite sides of the fence. Um, Dr. Norm Geisler is, uh, comes from, uh, uh, the simplest way to define it is he comes from our, an Armenian point of view. He himself would say he's a moderate uh, Calvinist because uh, he holds a really high view of God and the sovereignty of God. Wayne Grudem is, is a traditional reform guy. So to me, the strength in utilizing those things is that you get the opportunity as we work our way through the attributes of God to see where we start pushing our tradition. Um, so you guys understand kind of where I'm coming from. Is we want to know God, we want to understand God, we want to grasp God. But, but remember we talked about in the very beginning, beginning we have a, a, a principium ascendi, the, the huge, the overarching principle in a Christian's life is that God is truth. Whatever God is, absolute authority, absolute truth, He's it. He's the end-all, be-all, final authority. And that the only way that we can know God or experience Him or is that God had to condescend to us. That God first came to us and He reveals Himself to us. And so that's the principium cognoscendi. That's the... The, 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 the principle that we have. I, currently, I, I cannot, short of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, actually have a face-to-face conversation with God and ask Him about all these things. So where's my authority? It's the Word of God. That's why we started. Remember, we started with the doctrine of Scriptures, going through how it was transmitted, how it was brought to us, um, so that we could understand that we have a firm foundation holding to the truth of God's Word. Now, from God's word, we have moved uh, in, into the attributes of God. Okay, if we're going, the, the, the purpose of us gathering is to learn apologetics. But look, you can't make a defense of faith if you don't know <laughs> the faith. And one of the things you're going to be defending many times is the fact that God exists at all. So understanding the attributes of God, which are pulled from Scripture from how God describes himself to us so that we can take those scriptures and try to put together 
a, a systematic idea for this is how God is. Now, you don't have to agree with me. There are uh, lots of sources. I, 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 some of my favorite, Lewis Sperry Schaefer has a great source, systematic theology working through. The problem is it's like eight volumes. And we'll be here forever just talking about one part of it. So I'm not trying to give us everything I can. I'm just trying to give you a, a solid basis on kind of the basics. And so I'm using Norm Geisler and I'm using uh, uh, Wayne Grudem. Coming from kind of different points of view, especially you'll notice tonight when we talk about wisdom, providence, light, and, and we discuss a little bit again about evil. So when we look at that, you'll, you should be able to notice some of those things. My challenge for you is, look, the, the issues that divide us typically, not always, but typically are issues that there, if there had been a verse that said, this is the way it is, there would have not been a division. But, and if there was a verse that said that, it'd be pretty simple to, to deal with it, right? To deal with the discrepancy within the body. What I want us to understand is whether you come from a Reformed point of view, you come from uh, something that's uh, uh, like Calvary, like a traditional um, somewhere in the middle between Armenian and Calvin, or you come from all the way over to Armenian, none of those things, your view of how it works does not affect your salvation. It, it, all it affects is, is how you reconcile, how you uh, might try to explain or, or, or lay out how it all works. Uh, so the challenge that I would give you, though, no matter what tradition you grew up under, is not to just stand in that tradition and say, well, this is how I was taught, so this has to be it. And not to be afraid to say, you know what, I really need to consider. Or the last two weeks, this, it's been my, my uh, well, probably, if I'm honest, a lot longer than that, but maybe the last year. Been a, it's been a long journey for me. Trying to grapple with the truth. Look, I just want the truth. But the only thing I can go to, I can, I can quote all kind of guys' names. This is what they say. This is what they say. But at the end of the day, it's this, right? It's, it's reconciling this and making this part of my life and being able to express that. And having yourself, not that you understand all mystery or you have it all solved, but having this firmly in here is the greatest uh, thing you can do for your apologetic. Having the Word of God in here. Now, I listen to a bunch of crazy guys, Jeff Durbin, uh, James White, uh, uh, Michael Brown. They're on all different aspects. They're, some are reformed, some are not. Some are this, some are that. Um, because I want to be exposed to things that when I came up through Bible college, nobody would tell me. Because we don't want to cloud your mind with other options. We just want to cut you into, I don't want to sound negative, but we're just going to cut you into a mold. And that mold is what we want. And so we're going to mold it and you just go and keep doing what you're doing. The problem is that worked for a long time. But there came a point where as I worked my way through the scripture, I started to be challenged in what I thought I had concrete uh, um, evidence for or uh, understanding of. So... So anyways, the point is not to get you guys wrapped around my journey. My journey is not going to end. I'm going to probably still be doing this 10 years from now. I'll be going, wow, you know, I'm still trying to put all these pieces together in my mind so that they all fit. But I want to challenge you. There's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I really agree with the Reformed tradition here. I really agree with the Pentecostal tradition there. I really agree because in reality, if there was not any truth in all those other branches of, of the faith, then we'd all call them cults, right? So we can, we don't have to be afraid to, to, to seriously study because the end final authority is what? Yep, God and his word, right? What's the word say? What, what is God given to us through his word so that we can say, yep, that's what the word says. And really, if the word says it, I got to wrap my theology around it, right? Not wrap it around my theology. So I just want to challenge you guys with that kind of an idea. We're going to take a look at the wisdom and light from page 42. So we'll take a look at it. Okay, we've already discussed the fact that God is infinite. Scripture also tells us that God is wise. Therefore, God must be infinitely wise. It's called omnisapience, okay? All wise. All wise. In other words, the, the idea, the basic idea is God always does things the best way. Now, if the concept of God always being wise comes into collision with my reasoning which is wrong my re- can i trust my reasoning this is the basic part of our, our our apologetic is simply the idea that can i is my reasoning absolute authority we said the word of god's absolute authority right so if the word of god tells me something i need to really be willing to grapple with what the word of god says and try to wrap my, my reasoning around it. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, it's not simple. It's not a simple process. But I challenge you that it is a very worthwhile process. And it's exciting. And while you're doing it, you know what happens? The Word of God is being implanted into your life. And, and being put inside of you. So that you are going to be able, ready to give a defense of your faith. Why? Because you've sanctified the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. You put His Word in here. Right? Is Jesus the Word? Isn't that what the Word of God declares? He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, right? So, so placing that in my life, sanctifying the Lord, keeping Him elevated as the authority of my life is important. So one of the things we want to understand is as a result of sin, we are um, stained in every way. Okay? The, uh, the Reformed concept is total depravity. To be honest, even Arminius uh, accepted total depravity. Or if you don't know who that is, he's the guy for who the Armenians are named. Well, what does that mean? That means we're fallen, right? Sin has stained us in every way. Every part of us is affected by sin. Does that include my reasoning? Does it mean my thinking? So can I always trust it? I can trust my thinking when it is surrendered, right, to the Spirit of God and focused on the Word of God. I get away from that, and I start just using my own powers. It's possible for me to get into error. Can we agree with that? So we got to make sure. Word of God, that's our authority. So let's, let's think about it. God's wisdom is rooted with lots of other attributes. We've already talked earlier about his omniscience, uh, which pr- provides the knowledge for uh, his wisdom. His omnibenevolence, uh, which is that God is all good or all loving, uh, tells us not only will they... Uh, be wise uh, uh, choices, but good choices uh, enables him to achieve his ends 
by the means he chooses. So ultimately we're talking about God's authority and life expressed through, uh, we're going to see in a little while, his sovereignty and providence that God's always going to accomplish the best. Now we might look at a situation and say that wasn't the best way to get there. But the word of God tells us Romans eight twenty eight what? All things work together, right? So, so all things work together for good to those who are those who love God and are called according to His purposes, right? So, so God has called. We're talking about believers sanctify the Lord God in their heart. When things are happening, things are going on. We may look at it and say, "Well, that couldn't have been the best way to get there." But the point is, I think God's word tells us that it is. So, let's take a look at actually what God's word says. So. We see that God is wise. Ezra 7.25 And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. So Ezra, we see, had been had God-given wisdom. Do these things according to God-given wisdom. Job 12.13 With him, speaking of God, are wisdom and strength. He has counsel. And understanding. Daniel 2.20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Luke 11.49. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. So wisdom of God. Not always the way we would think it should go, but nonetheless, it's what the scripture lays out. Romans 16.27. To God alone wise. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.24 But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Ephesians 3.10 To the intent that now... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Revelation 7.12 Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So the scripture clearly lays out for us that God is is wise. God's words are wise. Psalm 19.7 The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure doing what? Making wise the simple. Right? So the word of God is, is that which helps us grow in wisdom. Right? God's wise. We're, we're not going to ever be as wise as God. But we can ex- experience or grow or learn the wisdom of God when we are in his word. Jeremiah 8, 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? So apart from the word, word of God teaches us, we we don't have wisdom, right? So we have to bring our understanding through the word of God. God's acts are wise. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. So God, and we're going to see in a little while when we talk about his providence, that God has not only created all things, but we know that He's holding it all together, right? By the word of His power, according to Hebrews 1, and uh, Jesus Christ says, in Him all things consist, right? He's holding them up. So, so we see that the actions of God, God keeping uh, uh, things within creation working. 
Um, Proverbs 3.19, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. You know, we absolutely can see that, right? When we look at creation. I I have no idea how you can look at the stars and the universe and imagine that that just happened by random chance. It just just doesn't compute in my mind. Jeremiah 10.12, He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at His discretion. We see God's wisdom in His actions. Hosea 14.9 Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So the Word of God laying out for us that the actions of God are wise. The actions of God are wise. Next we see that God is the source of all wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Right? The Proverbs declare, from the Lord comes wisdom. So how does that work for you and I? Where are we going to get it? Right here, right? Right here. That's how God condescended. He reveals Himself to His creation through His Word. Right? That's, where, that's our primary source that we can go to, to to see the wisdom of God. Genesis uh, 41-39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Remember God revealed through Joseph. Joseph told Pharaoh what was going to take place. Pharaoh was willing to say, look, you are wise. Now Joseph is quick to say, I'm wise because God makes me wise. This is is the God that is in heaven that does this. 1 Kings 3.28 All of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The wisdom of God was in him. How did he get there? God gave it to him. God gave it to him. We see it in 1 Kings 4.29, right? tells us exactly that. And God gave Solomon wisdom, exceedingly great understanding, and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. So God gave, God gives wisdom. Where are we going to find wisdom? We're going to see it. And I'm sure I got it in here. Yeah, James 1.5. If we lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask, right? And God who gives liberally will give, right? He's, the Bible doesn't say God's going to hold back wisdom so that you don't have any. But he says if you want wisdom, you've got to go to him to get it. You've got to go to him to get it. That means that I'm not going to find wisdom in the 392 books I try to read, read every week. Uh, in fact, it attacks my wisdom sometimes, uh, if I ever had any. Um, because... Because, uh, you know, I, it, more, the more I study, the more questions I have. I just want to be honest. And, and if you don't have any questions, I don't think you're studying enough. Because if you study, you're going to have questions, right, George? They're going to come up and you're going to go, wow, how do I reconcile this? How, does this? how does this work out? So we just want to recognize God's the source of that. Second Chronicles 2.12. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son endowed with prudence and understanding, who will build the temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. Daniel 2.23 I thank you and praise God, or I'm, I'm sorry, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what was asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. You remember what that's about, right? The king says, I want to know the, the interpretation of my dream. 
And the wise guys come to him and say, oh, tell us what you dreamed. And he said, no, if you're really wise, you tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar, who was a little bit on edge all the time, you read your way through Daniel, you're going to see it. In fact, one of the exciting things for me is, I think I'm going to do Daniel right after we finish Mark, which should mean we'll finish Daniel on Sundays when I begin Revelation on Wednesdays. So anyways, I'm excited about that because having Daniel gives us a good foundation if we're going to work our way through uh, Revelation together. Okay, Ecclesiastes 2.26, For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping at the wind. Look at Luke 2.40, And the child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Talking about Jesus in the incarnation. Ephesians 1.17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Where is it found? In the knowledge of Him, right? In the knowledge of Him. Where are we going to find knowledge of God? In His Word. How are we going to get the knowledge of God from His Word into me? i got to read it. People ask me all the time, Jackie, what's the best Bible? This is my answer. The one you'll read. Uh, you know, we can all argue about translations and... And there are certain Bibles, I, well, I actually use five Bibles when I study, five different translations. But, but to me, when somebody asks me, what Bible should I get? Whatever you got to get so you'll read it. If it's going to be a, a comic book Bible and that's what it takes for you to read it every day, knock yourself out. Get a comic book Bible. Whatever it takes to get the knowledge of God in you, to take what God's Word says and to get it into your life, that's the most important part. In Colossians 1.9, for this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Colossians 2, 3. In whom, he's speaking of Christ, this is an important part of our apologetic because when we are discussing with other people and they say, I'll make all these assertions, the Bible tells us that, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So apart from Christ, can we really know anything? And as we work our way through the providence of God, I'm hoping to be able to kind of unpack that idea for you. That, that How is it that we can say that? Because, because in reality, when people make assertions about the world apart from God, they're still utilizing all the things that God gives us in this world. In other words, who's holding it all together? Who is, is keeping the universe uniform? And, and detailed so that scientists can do uh, experiments and that the experiment they did yesterday they can do again tomorrow and it'll be the same result. Because if I stood up here before you and I said, all the universe is a result of random occurrence and there is no uh, nothing but, but random things going on, then why can I point to, a, to an experiment and say, look, the same thing keeps happening. Why does the same thing keep happening? Because there's uniformity in nature. Because of the law of induction. Those things are possible in a world with God and design and God upholding and running. They are not possible otherwise. So, so it's important that we, that, we, that we can recognize, hopefully that we can see that it's in Christ that all wisdom and knowledge comes and, that, and that's important as we try to develop an apologetic to deal with primarily atheists in, in that regard. But, but the, the idea of saying, look, if without Christ, 
you're trusting in a broken reason to figure it all out. So you've got to have Christ. Because it's in Him that the, that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. James 1.5, if you lack, ask Christ, or ask the Lord. We talked about that. 2 Peter 3.15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom given to him, has written to you. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you. God's wisdom establishing Paul, the other disciples, those who wrote the word, right? God breathed. It's, it's all those things flowing through God's people. Give it to you. So now the implications of God's wisdom. This is a little different than the notes that you had before. So hopefully you got the ones that we gave out. Uh, so I say God's wisdom is a basis for God's providence. And we're going to describe and discuss God's providence. We haven't talked about this before. After we're done talking about this, you, you might not like me very much. But I want you to know it's okay. I still love you if you don't agree with me. But, but what I would challenge you with is as we go through this, and you say, Jackie, you can't be right. I'm only asking one thing. Your opinion doesn't matter, nor do your assertions. You've got to show me where? In the Word, right? So we go to the Word as our authority. And, uh, and if I'm not doing that, you challenge me. Jackie, that's not in the Word. What are you talking about? So, and and some, some things are going to be leaps that we take with our reasoning, which isn't so good. Agreed? Okay, so as we look at it, this is the implications of God's wisdom takes us to God's providence. The providence of God based in his wisdom. His providence is his superintendence of all creation. Okay, by the providence of God, I, I mean that God is involved in every aspect of the universe every day, forever, from the beginning to the end. God is working in it all. I have a high view, what I would consider a high view of God. Not everybody agrees with me. But if I was to walk outside and see a butterfly fly by, in my mind, God had that butterfly fly by. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe that, that everything's just doing its own thing and kind of there's a bunch of random events. I just don't see it. I don't see it. So, so let me give you some terms. We'll work our way through as we discuss providence. Um, and, well, in fact, we're going to probably get to them in your notes. But um, So there, there are probably four, four issues we're going we're gonna to deal with. One of them is deism. So I'm going to go through the notes in a minute, but, but I'm running off of my head now. Deism's in your notes. But the idea in deism is this. God created the whole world and abandoned it. Now the whole world is running and God's disconnected from it okay so in that view a butterfly flies by because a butterfly flew by the butterfly wanted to fly by you know the lizard waiting at the end ate the butterfly because the lizard wanted to eat the butterfly whatever but god's not in it that is a view called deism deism you also have pantheism we talked about pantheism before right basically all of creation is god and, and the reality is, for the most part, guys like Stephen Hawking, as far as I'm concerned, they're pantheists. They call themselves atheists, but really they believe the universe is God. The universe is God. Whatever the universe decides. But the idea is that all of creation is God. It's all Him. It's all, it's all God. 
We also have this concept that, that I want to try to stay away from, okay? The one, it's called fatalism. You can also call it determinism. Some people are going to say, that's what I am. I'm not that. I'm telling you right now. Because this is what a determinist believes. A determinist believes none of your choices, nothing you do matters. It doesn't make any difference. It's all been determined, and that's just how it is. That's fatalism. We might as well stay in bed or not do anything, because whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and that's just how it is. That's called fatalism and, uh, and or determinism. So we want to be careful of that. When we look in terms of God's providence, when we look at deism, people see deism as random chance. Okay? They see it as random chance. Uh, I, I, I don't want to do that. Now, maybe that's something that, that, that you like. But I like the idea that everywhere I'm going, every step I'm taking, God's with me, God's directing, God's holding it all together. God's, as we're going to see in his providence, is still involved in, in his creation and that, that, that God is a part of all those things. So I don't want to be pointing to, to random chance. That's where we find deism. So, so I want to be careful of that. I want to be careful of that. Now, we talked last time, you remember, about three things and, and they're important as we work our way through God's providence. Remember, determinism or fatalism is that top one that says um, God has it all planned and there is, there is no choice and everything is, is how it is and period. That's determinism or, or fatalism. Basically, it means God determines uh, in the extreme, God determines all. You'll see later why you might want to put me in there. The bottom is libertarianism. Libertarianism is God didn't determine anything. Man decides everything. That's libertarianism. So man is utterly free in absolutely every regard. That's libertarianism. God determines all. Fatalism or determinalism. In the middle, I put compatibilism. Compatibilism is simply this. God decrees. I picked a new word, so maybe Phil will, will give me a pass. I don't know. He might not like decree anymore. God decrees by his infinite knowledge. Is there anything in God's word that is wrong? It's all right. We all agree. If through God it was written... That's how it's going to be. If I read Revelation from a futurist point of view, and I see that as a future event, then when those events take place, that's exactly how they're going to take place, like God's Word describes it. We all agree with that? Okay, so God decrees by His infinite knowledge. And man makes decisions based on his desire. Incompatibilism... Uh, I am saying that those are both true. God decrees. Man makes decisions. Look, we can't get over the point. We're, we're going to look at it in a moment. Can you ever get over to the point in the Bible where God says choose? Look, I'll, I will make it really simple for you. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you go to. Everybody on both sides, at least everybody uh, um, that... Uh, you know, maybe not everybody on the internet because those guys are sometimes wacko. But I'm talking about legitimate guys on both sides fully agree 
that man chooses. So just hold on to that idea for a minute because we're going to keep we're going to keep unpacking it. But keep in mind what I said. Man chooses according to what? His desires. Man chooses according to his desires. Okay, so let's unpack a little bit more of the providence of God. It says the biblical doctrine is not deism. We just kind of discussed that, right? Nor pantheism, uh, which we discussed. But providence, which teaches that though God is actively related to and involved in the creation at every moment, creation is distinct from him. Moreover, the biblical doctrine does not teach that events in creation are determined by chance, randomness, we don't know what's going on, nor are they determined by impersonal fate, that's determinism, that, you, that things are all fated, but by God, who is the personal yet infinitely powerful creator and Lord. Everybody want to hear that again? Take a look. You've got to kind of unpack it in your head. So I'm saying, the biblical doctrine does not teach that the events in creation, the things that are happening on earth, are not random chance. Nor are they determined by impersonal fate. Determinism. You're fated, and that's all there is to it. But I want you to hear this. But, how are they determined? By God, who is the personal and infinitely powerful creator and Lord. So you might need to chew on it for a while. But just, let's just try to unpack it all. So we may define God's providence as follows. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. This has all got to be in the word or none of it matters. But, but get, what I'm, get what I'm saying. That he keeps, it cre- he keeps it existing and he maintains it. Two... That he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And third, he directs them to fulfill his purposes. Okay, so this is, this is really where, where I am landing today. And... I don't know that my notes will change next week, but they change every week as I try to, to really unpack all the, all, the, all the concepts. But what I want you to do is kind of hear the, the definition, and that's, let's look at it, what the Scripture says. Okay, remember, that's, our, that's the authority. What, what's the Scripture tell us? Okay, so I'm going to divide those three things into a couple of issues. We're going to talk about uh, preservation, and we're going to talk about concurrence. Um, so I'm gonna, first I'm going to unpack the idea of preservation. That is that God keeps all created things existing and maintaining uh, the properties with which he created them. First place we're going to look at Hebrews 1.3, right? It's right there. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Um, this is specifically speaking of Christ, uh, his deity. Um, I'm not really going to unpack that part, but what I want, want us to look at is this next part. Uh, the express image of his person, and upholding all things. I put in, that's me there in the parentheses, panta, all things, means in the Greek, the entire universe. Everything that is created. This is not one of the times when all doesn't mean all. That's my point. Okay? So this is not like all other things 
or, or all brown-haired things or something else. It means all the things in the universe. Remember, what we, just a little while ago, we talked about pantheism. Everything is God. Here we have the same word being used. All things. Panta, all things. Okay? So he upholds all things, how? By the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So now I want to look at the word upholding. That's in, your, in the notes under I. That word upholding. The word implies the idea of sustaining. It also includes in itself the idea of movement. It speaks of the act of sustaining something that is in constant movement. What am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that according to this verse and the, and the Greek that is used, he's not, God's not saying, like, I started everything going and I let go, and now we just let it all go to its end. But that the idea carries the concept of movement, that I am constantly a part of what's going on. I'm constantly upholding, constantly uh, within it all, okay? Uh, Weiss speaks of the act of sustaining as dealing with the all in all its changes and transformation throughout the aeons or throughout time, throughout all time. This act has to do not only with sustaining the weight of the universe, but also with maintaining its coherence and carrying on its development. Paul speaks of this same act of the Son of God in Colossians 1.7. We're going to unpack that one in a moment. By Him all things consist. That is, all things maintain their coherence in Him. The Lord Jesus holds all things together and in their proper relationship to each other by His own power. The oceans are held in their beds. The rivers run down into the sea. The heavenly bodies are held in their orbits. Everything. I... One of the things I really agree with as we kind of unpack this idea is it helps. It actually, um, what's the word? It energizes me when I go outside to praise God because I see God in, in everything. And I'm sure I've shared this with people. I know, I know everybody doesn't, doesn't agree. You know, I'm, I'm just saying we'll work our way through the word. Hopefully we can establish that. But if we disagree... We'll do it through the word. But the idea, when I walk out and, and I see somebody who has come through our parking lot and is standing by my car, I feel like God has brought somebody all from where, wherever his life takes him and has stuck him by the car for a reason. I don't see it as just random chance. Well, there's a guy who happens to be my, by my car. So it enables me to praise God for the opportunity, to take hold of the opportunity, to, to see, you know, what's going to come out of our uh, uh, discussion, you know. Um, I don't, God has the map that sees all, how everything goes together. I don't have it. My job is just to live in my little box where I can comprehend things and, and try to be the man God's ask, asking me to be, right? To, to make disciples of all men, to try to share the truth of who God is and what God expects from us with anybody who I can. So, so I, I don't want to, I'm just being honest, I don't want to see that as random. So that's why some of these things resonate with me. Okay? That's part of, it's not really part of my tradition, but it's part of, of some kind of desire in me. I, 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 you know, I'll, 
I'll figure that out as I go, I guess. But anyway, so I'm hoping we can we can kind of kind of grasp with it. Uh, Philos calls the logos the bond of the universe. The act of or this act of maintaining this coherence implies the guidance and propulsion of all the parts of the universe to a definite end. An illustration of this use of Firo is found in LXX, that is the Septuagint, that's right, where Moses says, I'm not able to bear Firo, all, uh, all this people alone, where Firo has in it the idea, the responsibility of the government and guidance of Israel, the sustaining of the universe, this maintaining its coherence in all its part, the Son accomplishes all of that by the word of his power. The universe was called into being by the word of God and is sustained by the same word of God. God willed it. His power brought it into being or his power brought into being that which he willed. So all of those things we can see in Hebrews 1.3, in Colossians 1.17 and several other scriptures we're going to take a look at in a minute. But the idea that God has brought it all together. We'll go back to Genesis 1.1. How did creation happen? What happened? God said it. And it was. Right? And so when we look at the scriptures describing Jesus Christ. Also a great way to point to the deity of Christ. What? That he upholds it with his power. The same power that created it sustains it. <clears throat> okay. Uh, number one on page 45 says this. The use of the present participle indicates... Jesus is continually carrying along all things in the universe by the word of his power. Christ is actively involved in the work of providence. Okay, here's, here's why this is an issue for me, um, and uh, so I don't want you to miss it. It is God's providence is active, not passive. Okay? So if God's, if God's providence, God's working within creation with you, me, Sustaining things together. If that's all active, I, I mean to say that God is actively involved in what's going on. Not sitting back passively and, and watching it occur. Are you guys with me? So because this is something that is a continual action, I see it as active. It's, it's one of the concepts, that just that simple thing. God actively involved in providence. God passively involved in providence. Divides Wayne Grudem from Norm Geisler. It seems like a relatively small thing, but it, it takes you far, far apart on, on some things uh, when, we, when we continue to unpack it. But because of what the Word says here, because of what it lays out and what it looks like it's saying to me anyway, is that God is actively a part of holding everything together by the Word of His power. Colossians 1.17, let's look at it. Um, it says, uh, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Again, all things again points to all the universe. We're dealing with the same phrase. Uh, both verses indicate that Jesus stopped his continuing activity of sustaining all things in the universe. Um, or I'm sorry, that if Jesus stopped continuing the activity of sustaining all things, then everything except the triune God would cease to exist. God holds it all together. Everything actively held together by him. Okay, here's where we're going to look at some of the word. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live, we live 
and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offering. That's Paul on the Areopagus, right? Mars Hill. Mars Hill speaking with the philosophers, describing to them the, uh, the idol, or what was it they had? The, not a, I guess idol of, to the unknown God. And he's describing to them uh, this, this God whom they have an idol set up to worship that they don't know. Nehemiah 9.6 You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So God is preserving. God is working. Second Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. What did it say? The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. What's what we're talking about in Hebrews 1, 3, right? That he, that he holds it all together by the word of his power. These things that are preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's a, a, a day of judgment, right? We've talked about it before where the earth melts with a fervent heat. How do you suppose that happens? God, let's go. And, and things come apart. Uh, Job 34, 14 and 15. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. What Job is saying is if God stopped what he was doing, everything would end. Everything would stop. Psalm 104, 29. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So are we okay? I, I, I'm pretty sure we've talked before about the idea that God holds our breath in His hand, right? That sustaining power of God working uh, in providence uh, throughout. Now here I have a note that, that, that where, why I think providence is important because some of the things it leads to is right under Psalm 104. God's providence provides a basis for science. God has made and continues to sustain a universe that acts in predictable ways. If a scientific experiment gives a certain result today, we can have confidence that if all the factors are the same, it will give the same result tomorrow and 100 years from tomorrow. That's uniformity in nature and the law of induction. It, that does not occur random. It can't. So that's why having the concept of design and all things running, well, how do we know the sun's going to come up tomorrow? I know it because the sun always comes up tomorrow because God raises the sun. You guys know what I mean, right? I don't actually mean that. That would don't go crazy on me. But that God holds the universe together so the sun comes up. The day the sun don't come up will be the day God says no more sun. That's why I don't have a problem with Joshua saying, Lord, make the sun stand still so that I, so that I can defeat your enemies. And the Bible says that the sun stood still. And everybody freaks out. That can't happen. That can't happen. It can in my worldview because God is in control. It doesn't require all the other things for it to happen because God is sustaining it. God is sustaining. It's all in His hand. Okay, let's... Let's talk about concurrence. We'll probably 
not too far divided yet. We're headed toward the division now. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. So we'll look from simple to more complex. That's kind of how we'll take a look at it. Uh, Ephesians 1.11 is the basis for it. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the word translated, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the word translated uh, accomplishes. Accomplishes indicates that God's or that God works or brings about all things according to his own will. No event in creation falls outside of his providence. Of course, this fact is hidden from our eyes unless we read it in Scripture. Like preservation, God's work of concurrence is not clearly evident from observation in the natural world around us. And we're going to see why in a minute. We're going to see why, why that's true in a moment as we, as we kind of work our way through unpacking all of these things. All of these things. So in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So let's unpack it in the word of God. First I'm going to talk about inanimate objects. Let's just deal with inanimate objects. Okay? Uh, Psalm 148.8 Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word. So to me, what he's laying out for us, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind are under the control of God's word. Job 37, verse 6 through 13. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and to the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beast go into dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes a whirlwind. And cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. And he scatters his bright clouds. They swirl about, being turned by his guidance. That they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. Poetic description of God being in charge. That's why I say the providence of God is going to fit kind of alongside the sovereignty of God, which we haven't got to yet. We, it's coming in a little while later. Uh, but you'll see some of these same things when we deal with God's, uh, with God's sovereignty. Psalm 135, 6 and 7. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in the deep places... He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasury. Psalm 104.14 He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. Job 38.12 Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? And Matthew 5.35 Nor of the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city 
of the great king, saying, don't swear by any other name. Don't swear by the temple. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't swear uh, by any of those things, for the city is the city of the great king. Let's look at the, in the animal kingdom. providence of God. God controls the wind. I don't know how much comfort it brings. I do know this. In my experience, um, the only thing I can tie it to that I've actually been there is I've told the story before of a father who had, I don't remember how many kids, they had four. He had a little girl, uh, like, was she one or two? <coughs> Roses. One. And uh, dad came home for lunch, had lunch with his family, went outside to go to work, got in his truck. The one-year-old came out the door. He didn't know she was there. She walked to the front of his truck, and he ran her over. And sitting in the emergency room with his dead child, the father ran up to me, threw his arms around me, and begged me to tell him that it was the will of God, that this was, this was God's purpose for his life that this wasn't some random thing that he just killed his baby. And for him, that brought comfort. Now, he's a, he's a believer, uh, not an unbeliever, but those are, are some of the struggles of getting, unpacking the understanding of, of God's providence and, and how we look at everything. But if I, if I hold to what the Word of God says, and the Word of God tells me that's not random, it's not a butterfly effect that was because of someone's choice somewhere else that, that brought about the tornado. Sometimes those tornadoes can be God's judgment. I, would, I don't know that I would presume to know unless God somehow spoke that that was his judgment. But, um, but I would say it comes from his hand. Yeah, for sure. And the Psalms declare that the only one who can do that is Yahweh, not just God, although they're the same. But you get what I mean. It actually uses the term Yahweh. So um, as we go, hopefully I'm, I'm going to help unpack some of those concepts of, of making it personal. Let's look at, at animals. Psalm 104, uh, these all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So this is God speaking through the psalmist, Psalm 104, uh, about animals. Job 38. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to wait, to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven when its young one cries to God and wonder about for lack of food. God's providence among the animals. Matthew 6.26 Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not 
of more value than they. Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Which means they're not really worth much. But, um, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. So we see God's providence uh, in animals. What about random events? Um, random events, I just have Proverbs sixteen thirty three. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. As a footnote, it is true that Ecclesiastes 9.11 says that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the man of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. But that word chance does not mean the same thing in, to an Israelite that it means to us. Uh, chance means that which is unexpected. And we see that same word translated, 1 Kings 5, 4, down at the bottom. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. That word evil occurrence is the same word in the Hebrew for the word uh, translated in Ecclesiastes as chance. Okay, the, the fifth thing, we just that's it for random events. Fifth thing. Events fully caused by God and fully caused by the creature as well. Now, here's where hopefully we, we can start to uh, gain some understanding about, about how we put those pieces together. What if we can completely give a satisfactory answer or a natural explanation? Does that mean God didn't have nothing to do with it? So that's the purpose here. This shows us that it is incorrect for us to reason that if we know the natural cause of something in the world, God did not cause it. If it rains, we should thank Him. I was in Israel one time. Um, I've, I've, I've been blessed to get to go to Israel, gosh, a lot. Uh, in fact, I still think I can find uh, in Jerusalem the, uh, the, uh, um, the deli, the New York deli. We'll see when we go. But... There's a New York deli there. And trust me, when you've been eating falafels every day for, for a week and a half, you'll be happy to find a New York deli where you can have something else. But anyways, um, in Israel, I'm, I'm on the street. I just wanted to go out and uh, take my guitar, sit down by the Sea of Galilee. I mean, when do you ever get to do that? Sit down on the Sea of Galilee on a little stump, play my guitar, sing praises. I don't want to be, I'm not looking to be around anybody. I, I just want to go praise God by the Sea of Galilee. So I take my guitar and I sit down, me and a friend, my friend, uh, Chris uh, um, Wagner, you met him, Waggy's with me, so he plays the djembe, so he's got a djembe beside me, and we're just pretty much oblivious of whatever's going around us, we're just praising God. And around us, they un unpack a street fair, so the street fair comes into being, and says so they bring the street fair all together, and they... They, 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 pretty soon there's a bunch of people around us, the point. And people start walking by and flipping, well, shekels into my guitar case, which was, I thought was kind of funny. I felt, uh, on one hand it was funny, and the other hand, ooh, I don't think you're supposed to pay me for worshiping God. I don't know if that's good. But nonetheless, we had some young kids come up to us uh, from Israel, dreadlocks. Um, they were drawn in by the music. They sang some songs with us. I got to share my testimony with them. 
uh, the whole HIV story and the things that God brought me through. I got to share with them why I feel like uh, Israel is a special place, why God has a purpose and plan for the people. They wanted to understand how that could be with all the things that were going wrong in their life. And one of the things I said to them was, what is, what is your biggest problem now? And I'm thinking maybe they'll talk about terrorism or something else. This was quite a few years back. Mm, 10, probably at least. Maybe 15. Gosh, I'm old. So, but anyways, they said the biggest problem is drought. The Sea of Galilee was really low. And uh, their primary source of water is the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. That's it. Every, all the other water belongs to countries who hate them. You think that they're selling them water? No. They're more than happy to see them uh, thirsty. So they, they have lots of ways to, to, to take ocean water. and you know. But that's their biggest worry was drought. And it hadn't rained in a long time. And so as I'm sitting down to talk to them, it was, I can't remember who does the song. Um, I don't remember what the song's called anymore. Maybe Kathy will remember. But, but we had just sang a song about praising God for the rain. And so I told them, I said, you know what? Tomorrow it could rain. And when it does, you can look to the heavens and you can thank the clouds. Or you can look to God and thank Him. Because He's the bringer of the rain. And we talked for a little while longer, kind of mellowed out. They left, we left. And the next day it poured. And while I was getting on the bus, if I, if I could have had any wish, it was to be where them kids were that we had talked to again that day. Just to ask them what they were going to do. Are you going to praise the cloud? Which brings the rain. I understand how the hydrologic tables work and how rain comes. But ultimately what God's word teaches us is that God does it. That God is in charge of all those things. That he's why that works out. So that's the point of events fully caused by God and fully caused uh, by the creature as well. Um, so in, uh, let's look at C. The doctrine of concurrence affirms that God directs and works through the distinctive properties of each created thing so that these things themselves bring about the results that we see. In this way, it is possible to affirm in one sense Events are fully caused by God and fully caused by the creature. It, what, it, what I want to guard us against is what he said earlier in B was it keeps us from saying, well, the God's 1% of the equation and, and the creature's 99 or some other concept like that. But that we would realize, no, God's fully working and the creature's fully working and the system's fully working the way God intends it to work, the way God created it to work. Um, okay, so however, divine and creaturely causes work in different ways. So this is important. The divine cause of each event works as an invisible, behind-the-scenes, directing cause, therefore could be called the primary cause that plans and initiates. You see my parentheses, that's me. Decrees everything that happens. But the created thing brings about actions in ways consistent with the creature's own properties, ways that can often be described by us or by professional scientists who carefully observe the process. These creaturely factors and properties, therefore, can be called the secondary cause of everything that happens, even though they are causes that are evident to us by observation. So because we don't see God working doesn't mean that that's not something God 
has decreed. And what God has decreed comes to be. Now, let's just unpack a, a little bit more and uh, hopefully I'll be able to wrap it up in a nice little bow and we can begin arguing. The affairs of the nations, providence of God in the affairs of the nations. Job twelve twenty three. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. Psalm twenty two twenty eight. 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Acts seventeen twenty six, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. You know this one's coming. And at, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High, El Elyon, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Right? That's eternal. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, what have you done? God's work among the nations. Now, now the nitty gritty. God's providence in all aspects of our lives. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, what line in there sticks out? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Even though we work for our food, as far as human observation can discern, and, uh, and we obtain it through entirely natural causes, it is God working invisibly behind the scenes who decrees or determines that we will have our daily bread. Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all your need according to His riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. You wrote them all. That's where I, I started to kind of develop the idea of decree. What God writes, that's what happens. I was talking to Jason earlier. I don't, I don't have the verse in front of me. Um, pretty sure it's Isaiah where God declares uh, that his servant Cyrus is going to uh, deliver the children of Israel from bondage. A hundred and I want to say 150 years before Cyrus is born, God names him. And my question at that time was simple. When God named Cyrus, was Cyrus going to be named anything else? Now, his parents, how did they act? They picked whatever name they wanted to, didn't they? Sure, they got together. There, there's no feeling of coercion or oppression or God controlling. But once God decreed Cyrus, it was Cyrus. And what else? Once God decreed, Cyrus was going to rule. Did Cyrus rule? Yep. Once God decreed, Cyrus was going to allow the children of Israel 
to, to head back to the uh, promised land and begin the rebuilding process. And that is exactly what occurred, Ezra. Uh, I think Ezra 1.1, but we'll see hopefully in a moment. Uh, Job 14.5, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Galatians 1.5, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. When did God call Paul? Well, we see it occur in the book of Acts, right? We see the, 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 the uh, event. But when did God decree he had a purpose for Paul? Paul says it was from his womb, right? He says it was, he says it was from his womb. He lays out for us, it pleased God who separated me, set me apart from my mother's womb. Now, it was a long time before that was actualized in the life of Paul, right? But God had decreed. Paul, how's he acting? He's doing what he wants, isn't he? He's doing whatever he wants his whole life. He's persecuting the church. He's doing all the things he's doing. He's acting as he wants. But what God has decreed is going to happen. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born... I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. When did God call Jeremiah? From the womb. We know these, right? We've all, we've all read these before. Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah says, God, I know this is not just us rambling around down here on our own. It's not just man who walks. It's God who directs his steps. Uh, Proverbs twenty twenty four: Man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Proverbs sixteen nine: Man's heart plans his way, but God, or I'm sorry, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs sixteen one: The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west nor the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, exalts another. Puts down one, exalts another. I just don't see random events. I see God lifting up, God putting down for his purpose. Part of his decreed purpose from before the foundation of the earth. That's, that's just how I see Scripture uh, uh, laying it out. Luke one fifty two. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. From the lips of... I want to say it's from Mary, but it might not be Mary. Is it Mary? So, from Mary. Same concept, right? The Lord brings down. The Lord lifts up. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Yeah, God, God establishes. Yes, God. What do, what do we read when we look at Abraham and Sarah? When we look at, at uh, um, oh, who, who, who else do I want to say? Isaac and Rebecca? It's too many R's. I mean, Rachel and Rebecca want to flip in my head. Um, so when the wombs were closed, who opened the womb? We know that, right? We know that's what the Bible says. 
We know that's what the Bible lays out for us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who makes you differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What's Paul talking about? He's saying everything you have has come to you through the hands of God. Why would you boast in your abilities and your talents and the things that you've achieved as though God had no part in it? That's Paul, 1 Corinthians. God is working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We're not that, to that one yet. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Who gave the children of Israel the things that they needed in order to, to achieve victory in the battles that they achieved victory in? It was God, right? When they didn't have God, what happened? And we all know the stories of Joshua. He goes to Ai, uh, a part disobedient to God. What happened? Win or lose? Lose. It, wasn't it the same warriors? The same guys who won many battles before, now they go here and they, and they get their butt kicked. Why? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. King's heart is in the hands of the Lord. Like Pharaoh? Wherever he wills, he turns it. Ezra 6.22 And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful. And he turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. It's the children of Israel rebuilding the temple. They're in need of help. God brings joy. God aligns the heart of the king of Assyria so that the king of Assyria, a traditional enemy of the children of Israel comes alongside and helps in the project. Scripture tells us God did that. Ezra 1.1. Now in the first year of who is this? Cyrus, the king of Persia. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, go home. Psalm 33, 13 and 14. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. And ultimately, we just, I just said it a moment ago, Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Okay, let me try to unpack some of that. Uh, And we might be able to just discuss some of this as we finish this part up. All of these passages report are reporting both general statements about God's work in the lives of all people and specific examples of God's work in the lives of individuals lead us to conclude that God's providential work of concurrence extends to all aspects of our lives. Our words, our steps, our movements, our hearts, our abilities are all from the Lord. But we must guard against misunderstanding. Here also, as with the lower creation, God's providential direction as unseen, behind the scenes, primary cause 
should not lead us to deny the reality of our choices and actions. Chew on that for a minute. God's decree should not lead us to deny the reality of our choices and actions. Do we see the Bible telling us we have choices and actions that really matter in the Bible? Sure we do. So that's true, right? We do have choices. We do have choices. Again and again, the Scripture affirms that we really do cause events to happen. We are significant. We are responsible. We do have choices, and these are real choices that bring about real results. Scripture repeatedly affirms these truths as well. Just as a rock is really hard because God made it with a property of hardness. Just as the water is really wet because God made it with a property of wetness. Just as plants are really alive because God has made them with a property of life. So our choices are real choices and do have significant effects. Because God had made us in such a wonderful way that He has endowed us with the property of willing choice. So, the issue that springs forth out of dealing with God's providence um, and the age-long battle, it comes down to free will. And in order to comprehend the discussion of free will, we kind of need to define free will. So I'm going to go with Norman Geisler's definition. He's the, a big proponent for, for free will. I've read his book, Chosen But Free. I really liked it. Um, in fact, I would, I would encourage you guys, if you find yourself in a place where you're struggling with some of the concepts, Norm Geisler's book, Chosen But Free, and then read The Potter's Freedom by James White. Each book is written to the other author as a uh, refutation of their position. The, the plus side on that is you can see both concepts, what they lay out. And you can decide by, the, by what, they, what they are going to present through the Word of God, what you can cling to and say, yeah, this is, this is where I stand. Norm Geisler says, free will means it can only exist if the opposite of what you did is possible. And that's the division. Now really, at that point, in my opinion, that is two things in my mind. My mind's very simple. It is stupid, because we're arguing about stuff that didn't happen, and we're arguing about what, what if it could have happened. And in some regard, I think, I don't understand why we put so much effort into arguing about things that didn't happen. I know what did happen, right? And that's the Bible tells what did happen and what God did do. Um, so that's kind of the emotional part of me, which is probably a little too fleshly. But the, I, I, I think that's a small thing. We argue about what didn't exist. That's the argument over free, over free will. And the second one, I have lost. So I'll come back to it in a minute. But the second one was good too. I don't remember now. But it might come to me. But I would say in the future, the only things that we see decreed in the future is what God has told us is decreed. 
So, and, and, and even that is not without arguing, right? Because when we come to, for example, if we want to look at, at future events and we want to talk about eschatology, the things that are yet to happen, then we, we have the book of Revelation. That's it. We don't have a modern day prophet today, right? Telling us, you know, Bill's going to do this tomorrow. If we did, if we had a modern day prophet, which we won't ever because God's word says that that's over. But if we did have a, okay, better back, back that a bit. Um, there's not an office of prophet. That doesn't mean that God can't prophesy, that the Holy Spirit can't bring a prophecy. But that's not the, that's not the same thing as an office of prophet. If someone was in the office of prophet and could say, I absolutely am speaking for God, then I would be obliged to obey whatever he said. Today, if someone comes up to me and says, Jackie, I have a prophecy. I feel like the God has told me this. Then I put that on my shelf that says, let's see if this happens. And if it happens, I know that that, that was real. And if it doesn't happen, what do I know? As he at least speaks presumptuously, right, that that wasn't God talking. So, but... If we had that today, then, then I'm, that's what I'm saying. We would see those decrees. So the only decrees we know in terms of future events is the things that God has told us about. What God hasn't told us about, as far as we are concerned here, we don't know. But we know from God's omniscience, He does, right? So we know that God has infinite knowledge, and we just as we began, we talked about His infinite wisdom, so He puts it together in the best way. So really... I mean, although I would, I would want to be very careful how I shared that with somebody who asked me from, from Texas or someone who went through the tidal wave in Indonesia or somebody who suffered from some global catastrophe. Um, you know, I, I want to be careful how I unpack that for them. My, my goal is not to, to hurt them. It's also not to uh, not speak the truth of what I, what I think God's word lays out. But it doesn't say that that tidal wave meant that you guys were somehow evil and God was judging you. It just means that in God's wisdom, wherever we're going, that was the best way to get there. So when I look at the events that, that happen in the world, that's, that's kind of how I, am, I unpack it in my head. That if God is all-wise and all-knowing and in control which I think most of us would affirm, then the, the, the events that happen happen according to the best way to get wherever God's taking us. We might be like Israel in Jeremiah 29, going into captivity of Babylon, thinking this is the worst day of my life. But you remember what God, through the prophet Jeremiah, said to them. This is my thought towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So it was the best way to get the nation where God was taking them. Does that make sense? So, so let me just unpack a little bit more that idea. So um, one approach to these passages about God's concurrence is to say that if our choices are real, they cannot be caused by God. But the number of passages that affirm the providential control of God is so considerable and the difficulties involved in giving them some other uh, interpretation so formidable that it does not seem to me that this can be the right approach to them. Now, these are the words of Wayne Grudem. So this straight out of, he's a reformed guy. This is straight out of reformed concept. My problem is, uh, to be honest, I worked really hard. I spent, 
I don't know how many hours watching Clay Jones of Biola uh, unpacking some of the same things. And it, at the end of my journey, at least to Thursday, the end of my journey, this was the, the way I had to, I could stand on the word and say, here's what the word said. This is what, this is what the word of God is saying. To be honest, I listened to three hours of a lecture by Clay Jones in which his evidence for free will was um, embarrassing, but it was sci-fi movies. And I was so frustrated because I, I, I don't get those three hours back. Those three hours are gone. And I'm not saying that's the only... Please, I'm not saying that there's no verses, okay? I'm just saying that the people I went to and, and studied the, the, the authorities that I went to, to glean from that after three hours, now there's still seven more videos. <laughs> but after three hours of sci-fi movies, I was, I'll be honest, a little frustrated. I almost broke my iPad. Because I'm so frustrated that who cares what stupid, the whole, that doesn't really matter. The, the, his whole argument was based on the idea that free will has always been a desire of all mankind everywhere. And so somehow that was a leap to that's something that's God-given. And, and my response to that, without really knowing anything, would be, yes, but all man is fallen. So how do we know these ideas in our mind are, are not fallen in nature and therefore distorted? I love free will. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. I just want the Word of God kind of unpack it for me if that makes any sense and here's the good news we're in an apologetics class and we're we're all supposed to do a paper i don't know if anybody will do one but we're all supposed to do a paper and if you're really passionate about that concept because really after we leave providence it's it's really not gonna we're not gonna clash again with the other attributes of god but as we as we move forward from that if you're passionate about it and you got a good case put it together i want to hear it I want to. I can tell you what line I want to stand in. I am also telling you what line I feel like the evidence is pulling me to. That's, that's, my, that's just my journey. And that's why I'm saying tonight, I hope that it is challenging you to say, what are my traditions? What aren't my traditions? Why is it that I'm drawn to one or to the other? And ultimately, what's the word say? And, and as God leads you to those things, um, I, I always have an incredible time uh, discussing. I can't even tell you how many hours me and Jason have talked about it. So, so me and Jason are on opposite sides of the fence. That doesn't mean somehow we can't be a team or we can't come together. I've shared with you before, in the body of Christ, I think it's necessary that we have different views or we'll be weak. But as we, as we have room for those different views, we've got to have room for discussion, right? For answering questions, for, for dealing with the hard things. And I was honest with Jason. This is where I'm at. But you know what I can't do? I'll absolutely be honest with you. I cannot tell you how that all happened. My, this view makes absolute sense from the fall forward. But at the fall, I don't know how to put it together. Because what do we have at the fall? Perfect, right? We have the first Adam. We have the first Adam. God said it is good. 
Uh, we know that we also have a fallen Satan, right? And we have the same issue with his fall. How does, how does the fall of Satan occur? And how is it that, that Adam created without a sin nature? See, what I would say after the fall is you're acting according to your desire. What is your desire? What's the Bible say about our hearts? Our heart, the desire of our heart is to sin all the time, right? So, so when we sin, that's just us acting out who we are. But when I back up to the fall, pre, yeah, before the fall, I, I, I don't have answers yet. I was telling Jason, I've been doing this 26 years. I would like to say after 26 years, you have all the answers. But I hear guys who have been doing it for 60 years, and they say the same thing. I get to the end of the conclusion. One of the, one of the reasons why I liked Wayne Grudem is because he was honest with his answers. And he comes to the end, and he basically gets to the end. It's actually in your notes. He says, you know what? I, I, I just don't know how this works. I'm just going by, here's what the Bible teaches. This is how I can understand from here, but I don't know how to back up. And God's Word doesn't, doesn't necessarily give us the, the, the information. We have to make supposition, right? At the fall, we have to suppose. Man is perfect, and either God uh, decreed that man would fall, which makes God the author of the fall, which, which I'm not saying that can't be. I'm just saying... That's an option. Or God created man with the ability to make the choice, which leads us down a whole nother, uh, a whole nother realm, right? That free choice led to evil. Or that God decreed evil. God created Satan. The scripture tells us, right, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, that he was perfect. So we got the same issue with Satan that we got with Adam. So I want you to, to realize it's okay to realize that we don't have all the answers. Keep in mind, when we began this course on the attributes of God, one of the first things we said about him is he's transcendent. We're going we're gonna to talk next week about his ineffability. <laughs> I had to look it up. Ineffability, what in the world does that mean? That means that words really can't fully express everything about God. Could there ever be a positive I don't know. Could there ever be? Not. Yeah. No negative. So at least in the beginning, it had to be so. Uh, you know, not in our beginning, but in the, if you can use that term in the concept of the beginning of God. Let me let me give you just a couple quick uh, examples of the of the concept, hopefully, to to help you. Um, understand. So, um, where do I want to go? It seems better to affirm that God causes all things that happen, but that He does so in such a way that He somehow upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices. Choices that have real and eternal results for which we are held accountable. Exactly how God combines His providential control and our willing, significant choices Scripture does not explain to us. But we see those things affirmed. But rather than deny one aspect or the other, simply because we can't explain how both can be true, we should accept both in an attempt to be faithful to the teaching of all Scripture. 
Here's the analogy he gave. I kind of liked it. The analogy of an author writing a play may help us to grasp how both aspects, aspects can be true. Now, this is not perfect, okay? This is like every example of the Trinity. Don't make a doctrine out of this. It hopefully just helps to kind of give us an illustration of what we're talking about. Um, in the Shakespearean play Macbeth, the character Macbeth murders King Duncan. Now, if we assume for a moment that this is a, a fictional account, we may ask, who killed King Duncan? On one level, the correct answer is Macbeth. Because within the play, he carried out the murder, and he is rightly to blame for it. But on another level, a correct answer to the question, who killed King Duncan, would be William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare caused his death. He wrote the play. He created all the characters in it, and he wrote the part where Macbeth killed King Duncan. It would not be correct to say that because Macbeth killed King Duncan, William Shakespeare did not somehow cause his death. Nor would it be correct to say that because William Shakespeare caused King Duncan's death, Macbeth did not really kill him. Both are true. On the level of the characters in the play Macbeth, fully, 100% caused King Duncan's death, but on the level of the creator of the play, William Shakespeare fully caused King Duncan's death. In similar fashion, not exact, we can understand that God fully causes things in one way as creator, and we fully cause things in another way as creatures. Um, feel free to look at the warning, because the warning basically is, you know, don't go crazy with this as an analogy. Yes, sir. Right. So our difference would be in the choosing of the terms. So in the choosing of the terms, um, I don't think permitted is a strong enough word. Now, because God, in, if I take the example of the play, um, God's decree that the best way to save the children of Israel through Joseph was that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. God decrees that event to take place. Joseph's brothers react according to their own desire. Their own desire is to do what they did. Uh, God also knowing that, you know, we can even talk about the eternal now. I, I don't really have a problem with the eternal now idea. But, but, but God knowing that, uh, God decreeing that, my issue is, um, if I use the word permit, it intimates that the other could have happened. And I don't believe that. I believe that once God decided through his wisdom that that's the best way to save the nation through Joseph, that God decreed it would happen. And so he doesn't intervene and, and coerce the brothers who wanted not to sell him, but God made them sell him. That's not what happens. But rather God allows them to act or God, uh, I don't like the word allow. Sure. So God decrees 
that they would sell the brother, that they would do the things that they would do, that, that Potiphar's wife would do what she did. God decrees it. So God writes it, but the people who perform it, the people who act it out, are acting according to their own choice, and their own choice had real consequences and real effect um, through it all. So, so my issue is just the flip side. So the reason why we tend to want to use the word permit or we uh, um, rather than decree is we're trying to save God from being uh, responsible for what we perceive as evil. But what God, I think, is saying in his word is I'm not I'm not forcing anyone. Man is still acting how he wants to act. That's the reason why when I get to the fall, I struggle. Or pre-fall, I struggle. But post-fall, the, the desires of man's heart is evil continually. So post-fall, when I look at those, to me it's easy to see that God decrees this is the best way to get us from A to B. So it's going to happen. And Joseph's brothers are going to act according to their own desire. They want to do it. But I sure, but they were going to always make the decision to sell. Yeah, foreknowledge is is a tricky is a tricky discussion too, uh, because God doesn't exist within time. Um, and Norm Geisler says the same thing. Um, so the idea of of God's existence—that's why he uses the eternal now. So it really all goes back. If we want to back up, it all goes back to omniscience. That God knows it all. And, and whatever God knows, he can't unknow. It can't not happen. So what God knows is decreed. So, so what God, it's like if we took all of God's knowledge, well, we don't have it here, but if we took all of God's knowledge, he could write down, you know, in his book, like he said in, in Psalms 139, in your book there fashioned for me all the days before there were any of them. So God could write in, in this book everything that was ever going to happen to David and everything that was going to go on in his life because he knows. Now, we describe it as foreknowledge because we're in time, right? right? So, so I just want to understand that God's not in that, though. So, so God's not learning that as we act out. That leads us to open theism. That's not a good place to go. So, so we don't want to be there, but we want to say... God, if Bible's clear, God knows everything. So according to what God knows, I guess this is how I would say it. According to what God knows, he decrees what he decrees happens. Okay. And then uh, alongside, beside that, every man affected by the decrees of God is doing what he wants to do. I would ask him Romans 8.28 would grab that. Me, it says, for all things work together for good, who love God, which is our choice in it, unless we're going to say God causes us to love Him, and then all things work together for good, who love God, and those who call according to His purpose. And then He gives us the foreknew and the predestined all behind that. He's, it, it God being outside of time sees everything that I'm going to choose, everything I'm going to do, all my thoughts, all my actions. And so when I was living in the drug world and doing that life, He's it was his permissive will, just like Balaam, for example, when Balaam wanted the gold in the house, and he said, could I go, Lord? And God said, no. He, God finally said yes, and then he was angry. He went anyway. God allowed me those choices, 
and then use those choices to work together for good, exactly as I guess you said with Joseph. Yeah, that's, that, that is certainly one way to look at it, one way to put it together. And the challenge is, as we do it, you know, to, to try to get our minds around the idea that while on our, on our side of eternity, everything is happening uh, in a line. But that's not the way it is for God. So when God writes it all, that's why we, we say that the names are already in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right? So when somebody says, God has decreed the elect, I don't have a problem with that. Because God knows everything. God can, God can decree it. God is not moved by us is my point. We are moved by God. That, that the idea of the high view or the high, high view of God. So, so I'm okay with that part. I, I struggle with the flip side. Right? I struggle with the flip side. I don't like it. But my not liking it can't be my reason for saying that it doesn't happen. It has to be, hey, let's dive into the Word. Let's, let's chew it out. Let's talk it out. Let's Try to unpack the concepts and the ideas together. Because sometimes somebody else goes, what about this? And you go, ooh, I didn't think about that. Oh, now I've got to, I got to go back and, and look at some more. So it's good to wrestle with it. It's good to wrestle with it. We just want to be careful. And one of the things that, that Jason challenges me with and I challenge Jason with is uh, when my arguments against God's word, I'm wrong. So when God's word gives me something plain... Then, then I have to accept that, right? That's it. That's the authority. So I accept that. And then I have to adjust my theology accordingly. Now, I'm going to have to rely on my reason. We talked about that earlier, right? My reason is not perfected, but I have a benefit that other people don't. I have Christ in me who will do what? Who in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? So the ability to comprehend and understand, we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit working in us, um, but that can be subjective, Right. So so to try to be objective, to me, the best way to be objective is 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 through his word, because that's that's where my principium, that's my my principle. Right. That's what I want to hold to. So so from there, if you look at the notes, it goes through the, the, the discourse on evil that we talked about last time. Feel free to, to work your way through it. We may just touch on that just briefly next week, but I really want to get through or we're never going to get to the other attributes of God and I really didn't want to be in attributes of God for 42 years so so as we work our way through if you're challenged and you're saying I don't know about this and I don't know if I got all this down I just want to encourage you to, to seek out to search to go look to put the pieces together that's what God calls us to right look a lazy man will just say well, Jackie said it so it must be true I'm just going to buy what he said but if you do that you're never going to be able to defend it the only way to defend what you believe is to have established it through your own personal time through the word and study. Right? So, so I just want to challenge you guys to do that. Uh, we'll conclude. Uh, we'll do a little bit on evil next time. Then we'll talk about light, majesty, uh, beauty, and ineffability next time. And then really we won't have any big headbanging issues through the rest of the attributes of God. And we'll be smooth sailing into the next part of what we're doing with apologetics. So, so thanks. Hopefully, um, 
my big desire is not to be so confusing that afterwards you go, man, I know less than I did before I came in. So hopefully it helps you uh, comprehend and understand at least some of the things and, and what's going on. So uh, somebody want to pray? You got it, Phil? Thanks. Sure.